is a powerful thing. When a person truly believes something, well, when a person truly believes something that happens to turn out to be false, it can have devastating consequences, can't it? <laughs> Such as if I believe that if I jump off a roof, I will start to fly, <laughs> and I put my belief into action, it uh, will result in much pain for my life. When societies believe things that are false, well, actually, the, the society itself can collapse. We see this throughout history. The ancient Greek society believed that mankind was the end of all things. There was nothing greater than mankind was their belief system. In the city of Sparta, if you know anything about ancient Greece, they believed that they could build this this perfect, most physically fit, most beautiful, most powerful race of people. They could become the premier civilization the world has ever and would ever see. And because of this belief, they valued people based on their contribution to this ideal. It had devastating consequences. When the baby was born, the parents would present the baby to the ruling council to see if it was physically fit to benefit the society. If it wasn't, it was abandoned and soon would die from exposure. Terrible, isn't it? Can you believe a society that would allow babies to die? You see, modern society believes that a pregnancy should not be allowed to interfere with a woman's life unless she wants it to. And this belief has devastating consequences. In the United States, the life of an unborn child is terminated every 30 seconds. You see, what, what a society believes will always drive public policy. It will shape overall behavior in the society. What you personally believe will ultimately motivate how you behave. We talked about this last week some, but if you believe you're a sinner and no matter what Jesus has done for you, you're always going to be a sinner without any hope of righteousness, then you participate in sin, believing it to be natural for you. It's your natural state. I would contend that it is absolutely critical that a, per a person search diligently to, to discover what is true, what is real, and then hold on with unwavering faith. Because in the world in which we live, you're going to have friends and teachers and professors and politicians. And can you believe this? Even the mass media are going to be telling you something different. But everything depends on finding out what's true. What, what is really true? And I'm going to believe that no matter what. We have a crisis of belief in our society today. We have a crisis of belief in the church today. <laughs> All you have to do is look at some statistics, and I love statistics, so here they come. You ready? You know, George Barna, our great research friend who uh, does a lot of studies on uh, how people think and believe, 
He did a survey to discover how many people in America had a basic biblical worldview. Just a basic biblical worldview. He only asked whether or not a person believed six statements. And here they are, one at a time. The first one is the statement that says, There is absolute moral truth. There is absolute moral truth. The second statement is that the Bible is accurate in all it teaches. Thirdly, Satan is a real spiritual force. Fourth, it is impossible to earn your way into heaven. Fifth, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth. And finally, sixth, God is all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe. He asked those six questions of the average American. And he's done it for several years. And to be honest, over the last 15 years, the results have been somewhat static, a little bit of a decline in the overall uh, biblical worldview. And these are basics to a biblical worldview. But in 2010, only 9% of Americans answered these questions biblically. 9%. Uh, But take heart, the statistics were better for born-again Christians. We're better. Of that group, 19% answered these biblically. However, we need to slide the scale back because when it came to young people between the ages of 18 and 23, (laughs) the percentage fell to one half of 1%. This is just sobering to me. Every time I look at statistics like this, somewhere, somewhere along the line, we as a culture have lost touch. Not with a belief system, not with somebody's opinion. We've lost touch with the truth. And it has had devastating consequences. You see, in the 16th chapter of John, Jesus is teaching his disciples about this coming spirit of his He wants them to know and he wants them to believe the truth. This whole evening that he's spending with his disciples, which we were a part of in the the communion, the Passover, this whole evening from John 13 through 16 is this discourse of Christ teaching the important things to his followers. The night before he leaves, this is the important stuff. I really want you guys to understand this. You may not get all of this right now, but you're going to understand and refer back to my words in days coming forth. So these are vitally critical words of Christ. He says this in the 16th chapter of John, verses 5 through 15. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, this spirit of truth, comes, 
He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. If you look at verse 7, it starts with Jesus saying, I tell you the truth. It's kind of gather in, guys. I'm going to tell you something very, very critically important. This is not my opinion. This is real. But actually, if it was Jesus' opinion, it would probably be true, don't you think? <laughs> he says, you can count on this. No matter how you're feeling right now, I want you to know that it is to your advantage, followers, that I go away. We get the scene, right? Uh, these are the last hours Jesus is spent with his followers, and they are distraught because he's talking about leaving. And it says there in verse 6 that sorrow filled their hearts. They're overcome with this grief, this, this sadness, this distress. They're most likely personally afraid. And Jesus speaks into the midst of their sorrow and their grief and their fear, and he says... It's to your advantage that I leave. Has that ever happened to you? What I mean is, has it ever happened to you that when you're going through a difficult time or you're going through a stress point or you're going through a grief or a sadness or all of a sudden truth comes blaring in This past week, I attended a pastor's conference down in Austin, and I heard a man named Chad Connolly give his testimony. Uh, it was a gripping testimony. Chad's wife took her own life when his two sons were five and nine. He's a national leader now in uh, the Republican Party, and he spoke of the tragic circumstances that led up to it and the day that it happened. And He recalled coming home from church with his two sons and finding her. Then he said something that was... Really almost strange. He said it was as if the Holy Spirit came upon him right in the middle of that horrific scene and spoke very clearly to him these words. Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I tell you, the Holy Spirit has guts. <laughs> I'm not sure I would have said that in that situation. Sometimes, sometimes we say that to people who are hurting. You know, it's all going to work together for your good. It's probably not the best time for us to say that, but the Holy Spirit... He said the, the, the truth of that verse in that moment, it was the perfect word to come piercing through his personal darkness and gather some internal strengthening of his heart. He said truth is comfort even when it's tough to hear. 
Truth sets the person free. Truth sets the spirit free, even when it's tough to hear. It's liberating because it reveals what is true about the situation. And Jesus was speaking truth to his disciples in this night, in the midst of their sorrow and their pain and their anguish. And he wasn't saying things to make them feel better. He was saying things to them that revealed the truth behind the current situation. So I have four points today, but all, all four of these points are asking you a question. Here's the first question. Do I want to hear the truth no matter what? Do I want to hear the truth no matter what? You know, sometimes I, I will ask you, do you want me to make you feel good or do you want the truth? <laughs> Do you want me to make you happy? Just give you some kind of motivational speech or you want the truth? You know, we've got a lot going on in our culture today that's, that's just not getting at the truth. We've got a lot going on in the church today that's not getting at the truth. Because we don't think in our modern way that the truth is going to draw a crowd. <laughs> We think the truth might turn people off. We think that the truth might be too difficult to digest in our modern culture, in our modern way. And it's having devastating consequences in our culture. Let's look at this truth that Jesus wants you and I to know. He, he says that to his disciples that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin and righteousness and judgment. He picks out these three things to tell his disciples. This is the function of the Holy Spirit. He's going to expose these, convict people. That means convince, reveal, let people know the reality of this. He says that he will convict the people of sin because they don't believe in him. So truth is that when people don't believe in Jesus, they're left in their sin. Is it true that all people who don't believe in Jesus are left in their sin, are sinful people? Is that true? You know, the passage doesn't leave any gray area. You can't say that even though they don't know Jesus, they're still good people. <laughs> I know they're not Christians, but they're some of the best people in the world. The Holy Spirit exposes the fact that without Christ, everyone is lost in his or her sin. It's not a matter of opinion. It's not something that can be culturally massaged. It's just the reality of the situation. It's what is true. And if we as the church today believe that, your heart breaks for every person you know that doesn't know Jesus. If, if you believe that, your heart breaks for our nation because, well, to be honest, we have embraced sinful things, haven't we? We've made sinful things the law of the land. We're making more and more sinful things the law of the land every single day. And as the church, it should just speak motivation into our life, but it should break us also. Because the, dark only, the, only, the darkness only wins when light recedes, right? <laughs> yeah, we live in a culture where wrong is right and right is wrong now. So my second question to you is, do I believe the truth about sin? Do I believe the truth about sin? Have I studied the issue? Do I really believe the truth about sin? 
He says that the Holy Spirit will convict people of righteousness. Here's the flip side to sin. He says that the reason righteousness is seen is because Jesus is going to the Father. He equates those two things. He says, I'm going to convince the world of righteousness because Jesus is leaving. (laughs) Well, how does that work? He says, because Jesus is leaving, the Holy Spirit is coming and is bringing his righteousness into many, many followers. And the world will begin to experience the righteousness of Christ through the people who follow him. Through the people who are living with the righteousness of God in them. Do you believe that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Do you truly believe that I am the righteousness of God? Because Christ Jesus has brought the righteousness of God through his Holy Spirit into me. And the way I live my life, I expose righteousness to the world all the time. I live a life filled with love. I feel a life filled with grace. I feel a life filled with truth. And the world begins to be convinced that righteousness is real. It's true. I see righteousness. If you're a believer in Christ, you are the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Can you imagine what would happen in the world today if every Christian in the United States of America really began to live and believe that they are the righteousness of God? They would quit beating themselves up over their behavior and they would just begin to express the life of Christ in them. It's not their righteousness. We don't have any righteousness of our own. But in him, I, I bear the mark of Christ Jesus through his spirit and I am the living, breathing righteousness of God, of God. The third thing is he says the spirit will convict people of judgment. Yeah, my third question, do I believe I am the righteousness of God? Do I believe I am the righteousness of God? He goes on, he says, the Spirit will convict people of judgment. Sin is what was bad, righteousness is what was good, and now is the judgment between these two. He says that we're convinced, we're convicted of judgment because the enemy has been judged. He has been found guilty and sentenced. He is condemned. We are not awaiting a verdict. Aren't you glad? (laughs) We are not waiting to see who's going to win this battle, if Satan really is guilty or if Satan has been already judged, condemned, cursed. And all we await now is the carrying out of the sentence. So do I believe? That's my fourth question. Do I believe Satan is defeated? Do I live my life reflecting the fact that I know that Satan is defeated? That I'm enforcing the victory of Christ day in and day out of my life. Satan has been defeated. He has been judged already. When the Holy Spirit is working through his people, the power of God at work in his people, sin will always be exposed to sin. Righteousness will be revealed. And it will be full of grace and full of truth. And the people of God will be walking in great victory because they know the enemy has been defeated. And so, do you stand against sin, not only in your life, but do we stand against sin in the culture? Do we as Christ followers bring Christ's truth into our culture? Well, the statistics that I read at the beginning would kind of 
bear that we've got some work to do in this area. Uh, have you ever heard somebody say this? Uh, you know, I'm personally opposed to abortion. But I really can't impose my views on somebody else. That's kind of a popular way of thinking in our culture today, isn't it? And I want you to know that that's ridiculous. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, I wonder if that same person would say something like, even though I'm personally opposed to slavery, I can't impose my views on those who want to own them. Or I might even, would that person say, even though I'm opposed to killing bothersome and unruly children, I can't impose my views on those who want to kill them. We either stand against sin or we don't. We either are embracing the truth of Scripture and letting it live through us through the revelation of the Holy Spirit or we're being misled. We're being led down a road by our culture. We're being massaged in mentally to start accepting things that we used to detest. And generation after generation, we're kind of sliding, right? You probably don't have to guess what my conference was all about, do you? Verse 13 is just power-packed. I want you to look at it. It says this, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. There's a key here that if we want to know the truth about things, where are we going to go? <laughs> We're going to let the Holy Spirit guide us. It doesn't say that the Holy Spirit will tell you. It says the Holy Spirit will guide you. He will lead you. Who is truth? Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit will guide us. He'll take us relationally by the hand and lead us into the Word of God. He will reveal things in the Word of God that maybe we hadn't seen before. He will take us by the hand and He will bring us into the very heart of, of Jesus Christ and we'll be able to discern what's going on in this situation. Why is this person acting this way? How come, I, how come I'm facing this crisis? How come I can't seem to get past this hump in my life? How, why is this happening? Holy Spirit, would you guide me into truth? Rather than, I've got to figure out how to fix this. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will make the sense out of our existence here. And as we read Scripture, as we digest and feed on Scripture, the Spirit leads us down paths that illuminate truth about our lives. It says that he is one with the, with the Son. He will just take what he hears. He will reveal it to you. Folks, please understand this. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, and the Word of God don't ever contradict one another. The Holy Spirit is never going to lead you to do something that's against something in Scripture. It's the revealed Word of God that the, Scripture, that the Spirit takes and he burns it into our hearts and our lives, revealing truth each and every day that we, that we engage with it. You know, there's a lot said today about prophecy. Do you believe we live in the last days? Do you believe that time is short? That the days are critical? And it says in, in this passage that the Holy Spirit will even disclose to you what is to come. 
Does the church today believe that the Holy Spirit is revealing about the future? Or has the church kind of relegated that to the ancients? We've said, we just don't even want to think about the future. We read the book, we read the Bible, and the future is kind of scary. <laughs> We'd rather just go about our daily routine and go to church every Sunday and sing wonderful songs and be our friends. And <laughs> yeah, Holy Spirit, please, I almost don't want you to tell me about what's coming. <laughs> or do we have our radar up and we go, wow, stuff is really happening. Is your radar up today? Are you asking the Holy Spirit day in and day out to reveal to you what's going on in our world? What, what are the strange happenings that are going on? I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to be a, a doomsday person, but I don't want to be an ostrich with my head in the stand, sand either, <laughs> right? We don't want to look behind every rock and see a monster. <laughs> but at the same time, I think sometimes we're totally ignorant of what the Spirit begins to say to us, the rumblings that are going on. I hear of earthquakes, I hear of famines, I hear of all kinds of wars and rumors of wars. Ah, it sounds scriptural. Could this be? Holy Spirit, what are you saying? What is happening in the world? What are you revealing to me? What is it that the church ought to be about in these days? Should it just be business as usual? You know, a brief history lesson of the past 200 years. I've got about three minutes, so can you... I have 2,000 years. We're going to go through 2,000 years in three minutes. Is that all right? Yeah. I realize it's an oversimplification, but... Uh, <laughs> the church flourished after the ascension of Christ and spread throughout the region of the world. In the 4th century, Constantine established Christianity as the official state religion, instituted the office of the priest once again. We didn't have those clergy pastor people until about 300 A.D., you know. It wasn't long before power and greed took over the church. It plunged the world into the dark ages. The church left the core message of the gospel. Things like crusades took place. People who challenged the ruling church were killed. It became a real mess. Then came the Reformation of the 15th century. And as there was a return to truth according to Scripture alone, let's get back to justification by faith alone. The culture began to flourish again throughout Europe. There was prosperity, beauty returned, great music, great art. All the great composers that we know came from this time period. Architecture flourished all over. Then in the late 18th century, people, well, they got really smart in the 18th century. Smarter than their predecessors or so they thought. And they called this period the Enlightenment or Modernism. And the Enlightenment said that religion could only provide philosophies about life, whereas science and reason now, oh, we're so smart, we can prove what is right and true. People began to think that they could create a perfect world, and it brought teachings from Karl Marx and Charles Darwin to perpetuate an ideology that we can create a perfect world. And people bought into it, hook, line, and sinker. They accepted the ideology of of this dream, and it has had horrific consequences. Well, then, in the mid-20th century, see, we're making progress. In the mid-20th century, there was a reaction to this way of thinking because all that modernism or the Enlightenment had produced was carcasses, bodies, 
death and destruction. And what came in then was postmodernism. It looked at history and says, well, I don't think religion worked very well. Oh, I don't think science and reason worked so well. So let's just create our own truth. Each generation, each person will create what is true for them. Let's, let's, let's make tolerance the chief cultural norm where everybody must validate all beliefs. All beliefs are right. And it has led to the illogical belief in what we call relative truth, which states that you get to create your own truth, and you get to create your own truth, and you get to create your own truth. Truth is socially constructed for our time, not something that's fixed and unchangeable. We don't have to look at history. In fact, history really is just getting in the way. And the cultural denial of absolute truth has opened the door to the destruction of our way of life as Americans. You see, if, if, if truth really is socially constructed and we can create our own, if it's not fixed and reliable, then we have no obligation or confinement to a fixed truth of people who've lived before us. We, we, don't, we don't really have to abide by the Bible. It was written for its day, not our day. We don't really have to follow the Constitution because it was written by a bunch of illiterates and they, I don't even know who they were. <laughs> Where's the problem? Where's the problem? Who is given this, who is given this to steward the truth from generation to generation to generation? <laughs> yeah, you and I. The church. The church is where truth is passed down and we only have 19% of evangelical Christians that can answer six basic questions about our faith in a biblical way. And as we walk with the Spirit of God, we understand the ancient truths of the gospel. We pass it on to the next generation. God's absolute moral truth has never and will never change. It's fixed. People and societies that receive the truth, live the truth, prosper. They flourish. History shows. So the question is, what truth is the Holy Spirit moving you in? Where is he guiding? Where is he leading you? What, where is he taking you by the hand? He says, I want to teach you. I want to I train you. I want to show you new things. I want to show you the reality of the truth of my word. I want to teach you out of my word. You ever heard this phrase, we're not called to be successful, just faithful? I used to not like that. I used to think that was a cop-out for unsuccessful people. <laughs> I'm a failure, but I'm not called to be successful, just faithful. But you know, I've grown to see the wisdom in the statement. Because if we think the goal of the Christian church is to save America, then every setback we see is failure. And sometimes in trying to save a culture, Christians have acted in sinful ways. You see, we're, we're called to be... Jesus to our culture. We're, we're called to be faithful to the call of God. We're called to be faithful to the truth of the word of God. We're, we're called to be righteousness in, in, in an evil place. 
We're called to stand no matter what and, and just stand for who we are as Christ followers, as the bearers of the truth, as stewards of the grace of God. That's who I am. And, and if I get killed for it, well, have we failed? <laughs> no. The outcome belongs to the Lord. We're just to stand in truth and righteousness and grace. He is looking for faithful people to know and live the gospel and let him use them to change the world. Father God, as we uh, hear your message about the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of your followers and we think about our day and age, we think about the, the, the... the philosophies that are conflicting with one another and the vying for political power and the vying for uh, institutional power and the, the vying for uh, the, the mind of America, Father God. I just pray that the truth of, of the gospel would be resurrected in the church today. It's, it's the message that you have for us to deliver. May we stand as... Not only those who understand the truth, but live the truth day in. The decisions that we make, that we refuse to participate in the evil of the world. That we let the, the life of Christ so live in us that righteousness is expressed in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families. That the love of God is seen through the church by the way we love one another, by the way we love other churches. Oh, Father God, we pray that you would deliver us and free us and set and forgive us, Father, of complacency or apathy or, or writing off the world. You never wrote off the world. You never wrote off any person ever. And so, Father, I am praying today that we would believe wholeheartedly in your power, in your strength. May you in these days lift up your church. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing the song we sang earlier about the ability of God. He defeated the grave, raised to life. Our God is able in his name. We Isn't that wonderful out there?
I know you've all been distracted a little bit here, but uh, I say it every week. I say it every week. Go out and live Jesus. Would you do that? Go out and live Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.